there is something really valid in removing yourself from the situation. So if it can be a month backpacking, maybe even just a week somewhere, or just change the, you know, if you're living with a, with a person with whom you're having issues, try to go away for a few days because it helps having a different perspective and looking at things with more detachment. And then for sure, I would suggest to look for some help because there is so much help out there, whether it's a psychologist, whether it's a coach, whether it's a, some, you know, a somatic therapist working with breath work or whatever. There are so many things available out there to start moving forward. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am alcohol-free as fuck, and I spend every single waking moment of my life helping other people be the same. And today, we have a really great guest for you. But before we get there, I just want to give you a little uh, update about what's going on in Lee Davey world. Uh, Why is that important? Well, I think it's important as I creak around in my chair because, you know, 13 years ago, I was where some of you are now, thinking to myself, hang on a minute, this alcohol lark is hurting more than it should. It's taking up more time than it should. It's causing more havoc than it should. I'm drinking more than I should. Um, And then 13 years later, I don't crave it. I don't miss it. I hate it. And I spend my life helping other people be more educated on it. So what happens to me today is really important, I think, because it allows you to almost like have a roadmap, right? And say, okay, this is possible for me. This is epic. Um, So I've recently come back uh, from a trip away. I was away for about a month and I went to Manila for a week and I went to Cyprus for three weeks. Uh, working on a documentary. And, you know, I won't go into this too much, but 13 years ago when I was drinking, I worked on the railway as an area production manager, and I'd been there for 19 years um, working as a railwayman. Never, ever, ever dreamed that I would be part of a documentary film, right, or producing and creating content for TV. Uh, But that's what I'm doing these days. And I don't think I ever would have done that if I hadn't been if I'd still be drinking alcohol. So really challenging, doing something different, really pushes you to your edge, which is what Strive is all about, right? Strive is all about pushing you to your edge, helping you to grow and evolve into and live a more self-led life, be more conscious. So that was a really good trip. Manila and Cyprus really enjoyed my time out there. I've moved house. So I've gone from an apartment to a house and it's been great. You know, Liza and Zia, myself, um, we just feel so much more at home and a home versus an apartment. We had a lot of problems with damp and mold. Uh, we had um, landlord issues, estate agent issues, got deep into victim consciousness, but we're all out of that now. So that's pretty cool. And on top of that, I've been a little bit sick lately. My, I have hypothyroidism and it's been playing up a little bit. I've decided to go three months uh, without coffee and sugar as a result of my hypothyroid playing up a little bit. And if you're interested to learn how I am going about that and how I'm experiencing three months without coffee and sugar, uh, check out my Substack, uh, The Stride Method. If you um, go to our Instagram page or just email me at thestridemethod at gmail.com and I'll uh, put a link into the Substack for you. And that's uh, a Substack, if you don't know, it's like a little place where I write and I'll be putting updates in there 
on what I'm experiencing, what I'm learning as I'm not drinking coffee and I'm not eating sugar. Uh, and I think it will really, really help you if you're trying to be someone who is alcohol free as fuck, right? Really help you because the way that I'm setting myself up to not have coffee and sugar for three months, you could do the same, stop drinking alcohol. So check that out. Okay. And they also, the other thing I've realized when I've been a little bit ill, which is um, not happened to me before, because I'm not generally ill, is I, I realize that actually when I'm sick, I become very parts activated. I become very ego driven. So when I'm sick, I actually dip below the line uh, into victim consciousness. And I really do become uh, a victim. And my parts act and behave in ways to keep me safe, keep my energy safe, keep people away from me uh, in ways that are disruptive to relationships. So, you know, this week I found myself being a little bit snappier with Zia and Liza. Me and Liza had a check-in last night and realized that that is what's happening is my parts are activated because I'm sick. It's almost like when I'm physically sick, I am not as conscious or grounded. Um, myself kind of sidesteps out of the way and my ego and my parts come in to save the day. And it's the first time I've been really aware of it. So going to be working on that with my beautiful coach, Rochelle, uh, when I see her next week and doing some more exploration uh, and experiencing the main thing, experiencing it. So now I'm I'm feeling a little bit run down. My hypothyroidism is kicking in. I got a bit of sciatica. Is actually moment to moment feeling in my body how I'm feeling and whether or not I am below the line in victim consciousness or I'm above the line living a self-led life, which is what I'm all about, right? That's why I want to do this. And incidentally, it's not just that I'm feeling a little bit sick that I'm not drinking coffee or not eating sugar. I realize actually that um, I wasn't drinking coffee and I wasn't eating sugar consciously. And given that my fundamental choice in life is to live a self-led life, which is to be more conscious without alcohol, um, drinking coffee and eating sugar unconsciously doesn't fit into that vision. So that's why I'm doing that as well. So check out the Substack or email me at thestrivemethod at gmail.com or just go to thestrivemethod.com and you can join our email list there and you'll get access to Substack. We'll email you and you'll see the link and that kind of thing. All right. A few shout outs for you. Clark, uh, one of our strivers, Clark, 100 days alcohol-free as fuck. Well done, Clark. Uh, Susie and Polly, 150 days alcohol-free as fuck. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, Liz, two years alcohol-free as fuck. And Dom, 1,000 days sober. Boom, boom, boom. One, two, three, four beautiful individuals, either still with us at Strive or no longer with us, but always a striver at heart. Congratulations to Clark, Susie, Polly, Liz, and Dom. I see us five people. Well, well done. So just goes to show the power of community and the power of the strike method. So if you want to rack up numbers like that, if you want to be seen, if you want to be heard, if you want to matter in your life, in your relationships, when you look in the mirror, uh, send us an email at the strive method at gmail.com or go to strive method.com and uh, learn more about what we're doing here. Okay. And it's a good time to join actually, actually get over to the website, the strive method.com and sign up to our email list and get involved with the Crush Your Alcohol Cravings Cheat Code course. It's a free course that I knocked together. It's absolutely amazing. It will blow your mind. It will help you to look at alcohol cravings in a very, very different way. And if you sign up before July 15th for that absolute amazing free goodie, you will get a one-year Stripe membership valued for free. Well, sorry, you will be put into a raffle 
where you can win a one-year Stripe membership for free, and that is valued at $1,200. But the impact that it will have on your life is there's no there's no money you can put on that. The good you could do with a year of a Stripe membership, boom, it's absolutely amazing. So get over to the Stripe method and uh, sign up for that free goodie Crush Alcohol Cravings Cheat Code course and get into that raffle, all right? Okay, on to our guest. Roberta Musato was born in Treviso, Italy. At the age of eight, she started writing her first journal, and that was a habit that she would never give up. After a degree in conference interpreting in English and Russian in 2006, Roberta moved to crazy London, where she still lives today. In 2018, she decided to go backpacking on her own for three months to Asia as a way to escape from a generalized deep crisis that had seen her feeling stuck and very low for at least two years. Reasoning that all the pain came from unmet expectations, she decided to make an experiment. And for those three months, she didn't plan a single thing to see how life can be when you don't have any attachments. She talks about it all in her first book, Universe, I Trust You, which is available at Amazon. And if you check the links, you'll find out how to buy that book. Uh, that came out initially in Italian and then in English, and it will be shown on the NASDAQ billboard in Times Square on June 20th, 2023. It was absolutely huge for Roberta. Um, the trip worked as a watershed moment in her life, proving that a deep crisis can be the springboard to new exciting chapters, changing the question from why do they always happen to me to what for? And following a vision she had in Nepal, she's now a certified master life coach and NLP practitioner who helps her clients gain unstuck and living a more aligned life. And in this episode, we talk about what the universe means to Roberta, um, how you trust it, how you develop a relationship with it. Uh, she talks and shares that deep crisis she suffered two years ago, uh, what it was like to go backpacking for three months, not know what you're doing, what the challenges come up for that, um, how it feels to let go of expectations and, and attachments, advice to people at home who were thinking, oh my God, I got a zillion kids. I got a husband who don't care for me. I got a job I hate. I really wish I could travel around the world. Roberta gives you uh, some tools there and some help. And she also shares what she's learned as a master life coach and NLP practitioner. So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and keep and leave you in the capable hands of the amazing, the beautiful Roberta Musato. Thanks for listening. Roberta Musato, how are you today? Hello, Lee. I'm very good. Very mm. good. Thanks for having me here. I like your background. It looks very planty. Oh, I love my plans. Totally. We're gonna we're gonna be talking about your book, Universe. I trust you, and uh, I'm gonna be for your yeah. There it is. Yeah, for this book. Can't see it, yeah. There's the book. And um, yes. for those of you listening, in the book, Roberta refers to herself as Robbie. So we're gonna be calling her Robbie today. Okay, but Thank when you. you're when you're looking for or searching for it, it is Roberta. Okay, so mm -hmm. the first question I want to ask, just diving straight into the deep stuff, is. The book is called Universe, I Trust You. Um, how would you describe the universe um, that you trust? And just share your, your evolving relationship with it. Because, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't, not all of us when we're younger uh, describe the word in that way. So just yeah. explain about that a little bit. Yeah. In fact, I think I started using the word universe maybe five, six years ago when I started my spiritual journey. So I'm Italian and by default, I would say in Italy, you are born a Catholic. So for me, it's always been God, God, God. And then I moved away from the church that was 
you know, in the way I was raised, the church and God equaled each other. So I moved away from the church and I felt like I was losing my connection with God. But in fact, I found it even stronger by detaching myself from the church. And I developed this, this idea that was also born out of all my traveling and seeing that all the other religions basically are always the same, right? I mean, at the basis of everything, there is love. We are also connected. So whether I call it God or Allah or what other names, for me, it's always the same thing. And the universe is a word that I started using, as I said, when I started my spiritual journey, because I think that it, it it's really more global. Like it goes beyond any race, belief that we have, like the universe embraces us all. So, so that's for me, it's this immense wisdom and power that is overlooking all of us and is constantly sending all this love, all this abundance our way, but we are just blocking it and not, and really not, not being able to receive. It sounds like self-awareness is key there. Yes. Yes. I would say, and trust. Hmm. because there are some things that you really, I mean, it's difficult to have awareness when you don't have physical proof and evidence of it. And so I think that at the beginning, there must be trust. And then when you have trust, that's when you start collecting all the evidence that you need to reinforce your belief, or at least that's how it's been for me. Hmm. Beautiful. Did it always come naturally for you to believe in something that cannot be proven? Or was there a little bit of a skeptic in you? No, I think I've always been very eager to believe. Like, I've, I've never thought that the world can stop here. I've always believed that there is so much more. And there are so many directions in which you can go in this belief that there is so much more. You can get into ghost stories. You can get into parallel universes. For me, when I started doing the inner work, I'm like, oh my God, there is so much inside here that I don't even care about the outside anymore because... Here, there's this explosion of layers and the layers and the layers, always tough to unearth. Connection with your ancestors. So even just the inner world is so huge. And so, yes, it comes very quite natural for me to believe in, in something. To the point that sometimes I think I'm even gullible. You know, like I, I start from the assumption that people always tell the truth. Why would they lie? And so during my life, I came to believe things that my friends were just saying as a joke. So, yes, totally. I have, a, I have a natural tendency to believe. I like that. I, I, I don't say gullible is the right word, but I definitely trust people on, until they give me a reason not to trust them via, uh, other than the other way around. You know, I find that works for me better. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, what I noticed in my life is that it may happen that by trusting so much, at some point, you're going to get disappointed. However, by keeping this openness, I've received so much more than people who stay close and are afraid and don't trust. So in the long run, anyway, my behavior, my attitude is serving me better than not trusting. And just, just on trust for the audience listening, and we, we touch upon this a bit later on when we talk about your work as a master life coach and NLP practitioner. But um, for a long time, I used to just think to myself, well, you know, trust is... Trust is just something that you do. You have to like uh, just dive in there. And if uh, my wife Liza uh, does something uh, that uh, betrays my lack of trust, I just have to say, okay, I'm going to trust her again. But of course, there's another aspect of it that your body it doesn't trust 
people and certain situations and will react and respond in certain ways because of trauma and inner child wounding. And, and that is a lot more complicated to build around that. And so I, I just want to preface that for people who, who are listening. There's, there's, um, sometimes it's not as easy as just saying, we're going to trust Fred again yes. or Peter or, or Denise, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And very good of you to to pinpoint that. Mm. Now, um, you talked about going through uh, like a, a deep crisis before you ventured out into the world, which eventually created these wonderful experiences that culminated in your book. Uh, what was that deep crisis, uh, if you could just share with us? Yeah, so basically... Between 2016 and 2018, I had been having a very deep and generalized crisis on all fronts, basically, the way I had been single for eight years, and it was one dating disaster after the other, just meeting emotionally unavailable men, commitment phobic, affected by Peter Pan syndrome, like I was always the one <laughs> who would find them. At the same time, I I really wanted to have a family, and so I started a fertility journey on my own abroad which was unsuccessful and which was a very painful experience. But, you know, like it takes so much courage to decide to take this step alone. And then when it doesn't work, there is so much pain. And so there was that, which was huge. Another big thing was discovering that my best friend had hidden um, an addiction, like I had never realized. And it just hit me, uh, a phone call from his um, employer, just made my whole world crumble. Like I never realized that there was this problem. I had noticed something wrong. So I was having him visited by a neurologist because there were amnesias, there were blackouts, but I had never realized that the problem was a much bigger one. And this opened up a really bad chapter in our lives because he wanted to face, but it's actually, it was a problem with alcohol. Uh, mm. So it's relevant to your podcast. So that opened up two years of, for me, being asked to behave completely opposite to my values of integrity and honesty and authenticity and transparency. He wanted me to make up with excuses to cover his behaviors in front of all the other friends. He didn't want the others to know. And so whenever we were going out, I was constantly on, you know, on the lookout. Was he drinking? Was it changing when he came out of the toilet? Because sometimes he would just go there to drink. So it really came with so many feelings, you know, like you go from being completely shocked to feeling naive, to feeling stupid, to being angry, to wondering what kind of friend you've been if, if you've never noticed it. And then you want to help. That's what I, I really drained myself trying to help him. And you really can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. So that's a lesson that I've learned. But it took me two years. He went to two rehabs and then it didn't work out. So in the end, I involved his family. Like I left him two years to, to deal with the situation on his own. And at the end, I, I told his family, knowing that I might lose his friendship, but I thought that that was the only last thing that I could do to make sure that he wasn't going to die out of this thing. So that completely, you know, I live in London, so London can already be a city quite lonely in itself. And he was my main reference. He has been my best friend for years. So when you don't have a partner and even your best friend ends up, you know, with all these problems, it was really difficult to, to deal everything. 
And on top of that, there was on the working front, I enjoyed my jobs. I was an interpreter, subtitler, and voiceover artist. But I knew that I was called to do something else. I just couldn't understand what. And so really, on all fronts. And then from friends, I didn't feel particularly understood. I felt, yeah, even my pain you know, for the fertility journey was something that I lived very much on my own because all the other friends were either busy with their lives or maybe they didn't realize what, what it is to go through such a thing. So all things considered really made me say, I mean, I knew intuitively that life is beautiful, but I just couldn't feel it. I was just stuck in this grayness. I was only looking at what I didn't have, the husband I didn't have, the three children that in my mind I was always supposed to have and that I, that they were nowhere to be seen, the incredible group of friends that would have supported me. You know, like I was just looking at all the things that I didn't have. And so I thought, you know what, I really need to take some time and breathe again. So I'm going to take my backpack and I'm going backpacking on my own for three months in Asia. And I want to make an experiment because I thought, okay, all my pain comes from unmet expectations. I had this idea that my life would have gone in such a way and it's not. So I'm living in this negative gap. So let me see. Everybody tells you, you need to let it go. You need to let it go. No attachment, no expectations. But how can you do that? So let me go traveling and I don't want to plan anything. And let's see for these three months how life can be when you don't have any expectations. To the point that I didn't, like the first month was in Sri Lanka. I opened the, the Lonely Planet guide on the plane. I had no idea what I was going to, to find in Sri Lanka. Uh, I had just booked the first night because I was landing at 4 a.m. So I booked the first night in a hotel. And then I'm like, okay, let's see for the next month in Sri Lanka. Let's see which people I'm going to meet, what vibe I get from places, what situations come up. And I, so universe, I trust you became my mantra for those three months. Beautiful. Yeah. I just want to just honor you for sharing that. It's not easy when you reach a point in life when you question everything, I guess, and it can set off a extreme set of emotions and feelings and thoughts within. And if you don't have that support system around you, or you do have it, but they're just not able to show up in the way that you need them to, it can be really challenging. So just giving you some love for that. So thank you for thank sharing you. that. Must be really Received. difficult. When you um actually the you know, the the thought of doing what you did terrifies me actually because i'm a rigid person <laughs> you're not I, the only one <laughs> yeah i have a i have a rigid personality pattern so like if i don't know what i'm doing for the rest of the day i i feel a little bit anxious how did your decision uh to let go of expectations and attachments how did it change or impact your mindset and your overall experience as a human well, so first of all, I would like to say that it's not that I took the decision and it went like that because throughout the book, I mentioned, you know, like it's it's an automatic pattern that I've been having for 40 years, always expecting something, always wanting things to go in a specific way. And so I was constantly catching myself out and like, okay, Robbie, you're doing it again. You're having an expectation, drop it. So, you know, I really show throughout the book how it's, it's a journey, right? Mm. And the way it affected me, it's really that I think I enjoyed everything so much more because I wasn't comparing it to an, a mental idea of how I thought things should have gone. Everything was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I, I never really took time to say, this is what I want to get from today or from that experience. I'm like, let's see. 
universe surprised me. Like, I'm, I'm game. So there was a curiosity, of course, a very playful energy also, mm. flexibility, <laughs> totally. Sense of adventure. I don't know, for me, it really filled me with life. And it was the first time that I approached a, a trip in this way. Before, you know, like living in London, my life is a game of Tetris, you know, where everything is perfect to the, to the minute. And it was so liberating to just say, let's see what happens. And it's going to be okay. Like, because if you start from the assumption that the universe is going to give you what you need for your growth, maybe that can be a quiet day. Maybe that can be a lucky encounter. So I was just curious. I'm like, okay, let's see what happens today. Let's uh, let's cover something that I think a lot of people will be thinking about here. And I just want to preface it with a, a little story of my own. So I've literally just got back from a month trip myself. It was a working trip, and it consisted Where? of I, it consisted of a like a weekend a week in Manila in the Philippines, and then I spent three weeks in Karenia, which is like a Turkish occupied part of uh, old Cyprus. And I was I'm very fortunate that I didn't have to pay for anything. So my flights oh. out there were free. I stayed in five star accommodation. I ate in Ooh. top fancy restaurants. I did not put my hand in my pocket for a month. I didn't spend any money on anything. And I didn't think about money at all. Right. And mm -hmm. when I when I come back, I've still got that kind of like sense of groundedness. But it 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 is slowly being impacted by, oh, um, my water bill in this house is doubled what it was in my other house that I've just moved into. And oh, I need to pay this council tax bill. And so, you know, a lot of people will be listening to this thinking, yeah, it's right to go traveling around for three months, but I don't have any money. So let, let let's mm -hmm. kind of like let's just because again, the universe, I trust you, I don't have mm -hmm. any money. Just talk about that a little bit and share yes, your wisdom. Yes. On that. In fact, one of the reasons why I decided to write the book, I mean, the first reason was really to let people know what happens when you when you live in trust. And then when I started telling about my experience to Italians, we don't have a backpacking culture in Italy. So it's like out of three months that I was backpacking, I think I met not even five, not even a handful of Italians. And definitely only two girls who were traveling together. So the idea of a woman backpacking on her own is really something that belongs more to the American culture, to the English one, but not to the Italian one. And when I was telling people about my experience, they were always putting me five questions. Weren't you afraid? Was it safe for a woman to travel alone? Didn't you get bored? Didn't you get lonely? How much did you spend? <laughs> and so I thought these people will never leave because of these fears. And it's only by making such a trip that they will discover that you're never alone because you're constantly meeting people if you stay in hostels or when you're traveling on your own, you are way more prone to start talking with others and it's so much easier. And to answer your point, it's Asia. So, you know, I did one month in Sri Lanka, one month in India, one month in Nepal. In India, you can have a, an ensuite room for $3 a night and you eat with 40 cents. So in Sri Lanka, I would travel for three hours by train for something like 50 cents and eat with one pound. So it's definitely the, you know, when people use money as an excuse not to travel, I'm sure like I'm about to go to New York and oh my God, the prices there are shocking. But there are parts of the world where you can travel for months and it's going to cost you less than your normal monthly rent 
in where you're living. And I think I think so that that's a great point. You don't you don't have to stay in yeah, five star know, resort in Manila. No, exactly. <laughs> like I'm very I'm a very I'm a very easygoing person when it comes to accommodation because I spend my day outside uh, visit you know uh, sightseeing. So I never paid much attention, and I've never paid much for the accommodation. For three months traveling back in 2018, I spent in total 1,300 pounds, flights included. Okay. <laughs> so, you incredible. know, exactly. You want to laugh. Exactly. That's incredible. And of course, I mean, I was also staying in hostel with four beds, six beds. But, mm. you know, my point is that money should not be the thing that is stopping you. It's uh, You're using it as an excuse because there are so many places where people could go. I'm currently creating a documentary and with uh, an Estonian and a Russian, and they both live in a van and they travel all around the world. One of them's in Bali at the moment, the other one's in Portugal, I think. And their costs are like a hundredth of what mine are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. So. And you know, when you get into this um, community of travelers, you discover that there are so many resources. Like just this morning, I discovered host a sister website where, and it's only for women, but you can host a female traveler in your city and you can have free accommodation wherever you're mm. going. And I was like, ah, oh, why didn't I discover it last week? Cause I've already booked my New York hotels and <laughs> I, I, we did the same thing here with uh, like a pet website. I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah. Like, um, house sitting. Yeah. Or... Yeah. House sitting. Yeah, so yeah, we, yeah, that's we, great. Yeah, we came back from Los Angeles and we looked at the Airbnb costs. They were a bit expensive. So we just joined the house sitting and we traveled around taking care of people's animals, living in other people's homes in different places. Um, This is, you know, for those of you listening here, this is a really important juncture for you to just have a reflection or make a little note to reflect on it later on. Because, you know, when we talk about what are the impediments or the blocks or the constraint? You can look at a constraint as a block that's going to prevent you from doing something. Or you can look at a constraint as a challenge, as a puzzle, and be like, you know, okay, wow, this is wonderful. This is in my way. Um, how am I going to get around it? And I think it was Tom Billu that I saw once on stage that said, whenever he wants to do something, he figures out what it's going to take to get there. And then he's like, okay, am I going to be all in or not? Like, you know, and if I if I want to travel around for three months, then my attitude, my context about how I'm going to go about it is I'm going to make this happen no matter what, versus, you know, oh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can't afford a flight or I can't afford this. It's very, very different mindset and and mm-hmm. super important. Otherwise, you'd you'd never bloody leave anywhere, would you? So Thanks for sharing that. Really important. What were what were some of the challenges you faced though when you were traveling around? Challenges. Well, <laughs> in in India, I had the Delhi belly, the famous mm. Delhi belly, and I thought I was. It was like really, really serious. Like for four days, I couldn't leave my room, so that was very debilitating and. And difficult because I couldn't even go and buy the water. Like I couldn't really go too far away from my toilet. Mm. <laughs> I didn't venture. So that was a, you know, that was a big challenge. I think, you know what? I really love traveling. So I can't think of a challenge. Probably it's the tiredness of always being the one organizing things. As in, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, so what do I want to do today? And you know that if you are not putting the effort, 
probably nothing is going to happen. Probably because there might be people saying, oh, do you want to join us on our tour? Or So there are you know, all sorts of situations. But I think the fact of always having to rely on yourself all the time can be, because I stayed that way 89 days. So it can be tiring. You know, mm. sometimes it's nice to share the organization with somebody else. But apart from that, I can't think of any real challenge. Hmm. Well, the, the Delhi Belly is interesting, actually, because there's uh, in your bio that you, you sent to me, the, there was that question of um, changing the question, I guess, from why does this always <laughs> happen to me to, to what, what is this? Yeah. So if for those of you listening, um, if you get yourself into this pessimistic state, and most of you will if you're addicted to alcohol or have been, why does this always happen to me? So you you become mired in victim consciousness and you are, you know, you're kind of like blaming everything around you. Um, one of the great things that Roberta said was rather than say, why does this always happen to me? What is this happening? What is this happening to me for? What can I learn here? Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> so you want me to say what I learned from being stranded for four days on my bed with this terrible... <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you, le- I guess you learned... Um, I guess that I rested. Maybe I guess that I rested because I needed that. Because that's something weird, right? For me, traveling is is not at all about resting because it's a constant discovery. You're always putting yourself out there. And also, I I recognize in myself, you know, there is this zest for life, which which borders with the fear of missing out. It's like, I always want to do so many things. I'm like, okay, I'm here for one month. There are so many things I want to try. So I'm always on the go. and. You know, I come back from three months traveling. People are like, oh, three months holidays. No, it's been traveling. It's very different. It can be very tiring. So having those four days to spend in bed in a way where, you know, if I have to think what for, I'm like, okay, I, I got the, the, the possibility to rest a bit. There and you go. Read my books. Yeah. yeah there, there's your, your universe saying, okay, um, we're going to get you to slow down. We're going to give you an ailment and you're going to have to slow down and recuperate. One of the things I was thinking of is um, often I worry about healthcare when I go traveling to different places, particularly in Asia. And then when you get sick there, it's almost like you have to deal with it and experience your fear. And it's often not as terrifying as you think it is. Like I remember Zia, my daughter, when she was a baby, getting really, really ill in Bali. Mm. And we, we, I, I don't know what I was expecting. Like the doctors was going to be some pit down an alleyway or something but you know <laughs> when i when i got there it, everything was great and it, it changed my outlook and it made me feel more mm. comfortable of traveling mm. to poorer countries um mm-hmm. and not not letting the healthcare stop me from going you know yeah um, you know it, it's funny because in my you know in the book i refer to myself as a crossroad between poliana which is a cartoon character mm-hmm. and candy candy because i always trust people because i'm so optimistic so I've never really thought that something could happen from a healthy point of view, from, you know, health-wise. For sure, like based on my past traveling experiences, I know that I would be going to have problems with insects because I'm allergic. You know, I always get these huge insect bites that then become infectious. So I travel with a cortisone cream and Imodium <laughs> because in Asia, that's quite likely that you're going to have stomach upset. So yeah. yeah, packages of Imodium, that's for sure. So that, that's never missing. And for the rest, thank God, I never had anything serious that brought me to visit hospitals 
in those countries. So I don't know. It's good to hear your experience then. <laughs> well, you trusted in the universe and it showed up. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? If you're thinking that there's more to life than this, then good, you're waking up. Now, one of the most critical steps when choosing to up-level your life is to find a tribe who sees and hears you because feeling like you matter is so important. Strivers are a community of people united in the common goal of becoming people who don't drink alcohol and living a self-led life. So if you crave freedom, compassion, and peace, Strive is for you. And you can join our amazing community for free. All you have to do is email method at gmail.com and we'll get you signed up. How for individuals going through a deep crisis who, you know, something like what you did could really be transformative to them, but they're really stuck. Like it just seems like it just seems like it's not their world. It's not their life. It doesn't matter if you say you only spent a thousand bucks. It doesn't matter if you felt safe. They just, it's not in their paradigm. What advice would you give them? Yeah. And I also, I, I realized that it's not an option that is available to everyone in terms of time uh, as well as mindset. However, I think that there is something really valid in removing yourself from the situation. So if it can be a month backpacking, maybe even just a week somewhere, or just change the, you know, if you're living with a, with a person with whom you're having issues, try to go away for a few days because it helps having a different perspective and looking at things with more detachment. And then for sure, I would suggest to look for some help because there is so much help out there, whether it's a psychologist, whether it's a coach, whether it's a, some, you know, a somatic um, therapist working with breath work or with whatever. There are so many things available out there to start moving forward. And really that would help both in releasing stuck energies, both in changing the mindset and probably even this question, right? What for? Just in itself, it can help people to reframe the situation. Like, okay, these things that I'm going through, what are they happening for? What are they requiring of me to bring out? What new qualities? And can I help somebody else because I'm going through this situation now? So I think that even just this question could help people. Sorry, I think that there is the dog who wants to <laughs> who wants to be in. That's okay. Yeah. So, um, but definitely, I would say ask for help and open up. Also, open up with your friends, with people that you feel comfortable sharing with. Because the more we keep our stuff inside, the more a monster it becomes. You know, it becomes shame. It becomes something that you know. The more we hide it the more we perceive it as this terrible thing that we cannot express. And probably, you know, this brings me back to vulnerability because one of the, this is my travel journal and there are extracts of my emotional wreckage as I describe it and what happens day by day. <clears throat> so it's extremely honest. And it's one of the comments that readers have shared more like, thank you for your vulnerability because you gave me permission to, first of all, you normalized what I was going through. You gave me permission to start open in my own turn with you or with friends about what I'm going through. And for me, yes, vulnerability is really a superpower. And it also gives a sense, gives a meaning to your pain. Because until you keep it on your own, it's just you dealing with it. The moment you open up, A, you can receive help. And B, you can be a, of help to people who are going through the same thing. 
So that's another advice that I would give people to allow themselves to be vulnerable because mm-hmm. that's the real strength. It's not strong is not who hides things. Strong is those who opens up and accepts their own humanity and the fact that we all go through different stages in life. And this is another thing that I wanted to express with my book, right? We all go through rough patches. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And a big crisis can become the springboard for a completely new chapter in your life. Because absolutely, that was the case for me. I never knew when I went traveling what would have come out of it. And so that's where trust, again, in retrospect, I can say it, you know, I should have had trust when I was in that big crisis, but I was so into the grayness of it that I was just in the survival mode. I need to get away. I I need to breathe again. I I have to remove myself from all this painful situation, from all these people that remind me of what I don't have. So yeah, that was also, you know, like removing yourself physically, reframing, trusting, looking for help. Mm, There's some really good pieces of gold there. You know, a couple of things that uh, I thought of to accentuate that could be really important for the audience. <clears throat> One of them is is a perspective, I guess. So, like, um, let's say something happens in ha- our life, uh, like you know, we. Uh, just, I'll, I'll use my my household example, but it 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 sounds like it's similar to yours. Is me and me and Liza are forty eight, so we're getting a little bit older now, and. Liza, I would love to have another child, and that's not going to happen. Now, we can look at that through the perspective and through the lens of how terrifying and horrible and and all the kind of like dark side of that and uh, all the emotions and everything it throws up and that perspective, or we could look at that perspective and go, okay, so what opportunity does that provide us that would not have been there if we would have had another child, right? Or mm-hmm. you lose your job. Right. Okay. So I've lost my job. I've lost my security. I've lost my source of income. I've lost all my colleagues. But what opportunity is now going to present itself that wouldn't have been there if I would have spent 60 hours in work? So perspectives like super important. The other thing yeah. I just wanted to touch upon a little bit is, um, I, but I just want to ask you first, just quickly, um, you were single when you went, right? Yeah. Okay. For those of you listening who are like, yeah, it's okay for Roberta because she was single. Like, I got like four kids and a husband mm-hmm. or four kids and a wife or whatever. I remember being in Marrakesh uh, in a tagine cooking course with my wife. Mm-hmm. And I was, nice. the only, I was the only man there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like maybe eight women and they were all married and they all had kids. And when I asked them, where's your husband? They said, at home, looking after the kids. Don't let culture and don't let, again, your fears of... It might not be the fear of traveling around, right, Roberta? It might be the fear of telling my husband that I want to go away. That could be the fear, right? The fear of owning your own power and requesting for what you need and what you want. That could be the issue, which then bleeds into your advice of, hey, if you're stuck, go get a coach, go get a therapist, go get somebody who can push you to your edge at the pace that you need to allow you to realize your breakthrough yourself, right? So yeah. I don't know if you have any anything else you want to add to that, but I thought they were important points. <clears throat> yeah, it's very important. I would just like to add that unfortunately, that's uh, a situation where I feel that many women feel in, as in yeah. they are generally putting other people's first. Like culturally, we've been conditioned, you know, to to serve. Yeah. So even though you know we are hopefully moving away from this 
paradigm, but that's something that many women have, you know, to first put their family first. So they always come second. And if there is money to be spent, maybe it should be spent on the children rather than on themselves, right? So they just perceive themselves as not a priority and that there is always something more worthy than them. Hmm. So, so I really appreciate your share. And I also would like to drop, you know, to drop there. It's still part of being vulnerable, right? Because the, what I see, if someone is not expressing their desire to the partner, this hides so much resentment and frustration that at some point is coming out. Yeah. And you are, you know, you are giving from an empty cup or at least a cup that is slowly going down and down. Like you need to refill your own cup. And if that's through traveling, then talk with your partner. He will understand if he's a loving one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And if you, if you, there are very often as well, like if you're in that dynamic and you're not getting your needs met or you're in, you're in that, um, or not even your needs, your, your wants, your desires, and you're in a relationship dynamic where you're serving and you're giving and you're putting other people in front of yourself. Not always, but a lot of the times in my clients, the person that they're sharing a house with is the opposite. So like, so they're, yeah. they're the one giving everything and the other one is uh, perceived to be taking everything. If that is your, if that is your situation, use that as inspiration. Like look at the other person and again, change your perspective and go, okay, here is a person who clearly knows what they want and they don't mess about. They just go get it. And, and, and they don't seem to worry about the kids or they don't worry about me. Oh, well, if they can do that, why can't I do that, right? And and maybe sometimes we are making it to be wrong or we're making the actions of others to be somewhat bad or inconsiderate. And I would just like invite you to open yourself up to understand why is it so easy for this person? Why is it so difficult for me? Very often, the role model you need to change is right in front of your doorstep, but we're not mm-hmm. we're not looking at them as a learning tool. We're looking at them as so we're not looking at them as an ally. We're looking at them as an enemy. Yeah, and I would like to add something to what you just shared because one of the many positive things that this trip has brought to me is also definitely well, not definitely, but strongly healing my people-pleasing tendencies. Because mm. I say it in the book, I was this Red Cross nurse, always ready to help others. You know, like in those two years, I completely drained myself trying to help my best friend. So I was, I've always been the fixer, the savior, always putting other people's first. So for three months, asking myself every day, what do you want, Robbie? And how can you give it to yourself? Changed my perspective mm. so much. because. To heal a pattern where you tend to put always others first, you need to go to the opposite. So invite the person to start putting themselves first and to give themselves things so that they get they remove themselves from any codependencies where they're waiting for things to come from the outside. So these two questions that I would put myself daily, whether it was, what do you want to eat? What do you want to do? Like constantly checking with myself, like it's you, it's always you. I'm giving attention to yourself and I'm providing what you need. So this was really therapeutic. Mm. I came back and I'm like, yeah, no longer the Red Cross nurse that I used to be. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> because it, it's, it's strength, it's power, it's, it's love. It, it, I mean, it's just, yeah, to be able to recognize that where you, 
first of all, just to recognize where you are in that. Like, am I struggling with it or do I do it really well or do I do it, but I don't do it as healthily? Because I'm sure there are plenty of times when I take what I want and I don't do it um, in a healthy way for for my relationship to thrive, right? Like I mm-hmm. probably there are there are ways where I'm I'm not as considerate as I could be, or I'm a little bit more selfish than I could be. And and relationships are all about win win dynamics, right? And compromise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very often I'll, I'll say to Liza sometimes, okay, you wanted that, like let's let how can we help you to step up and get it, right? Like you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not I'm not in your way. Like come on. Oh, that's beautiful. Come, come, yeah. come, come and get it. Um, what was the what was the? Cause I, I love I love life changing experiences. I I love them. Right, these visions, these the someone talked to me or this happened, this perfect storm. But something that like changes your life. Something happened to you in Nepal. What happened? Oh yeah. So in Nepal, <laughs> so throughout the book, I talk about the many synchronicities that I started recognizing. You know, all these coincidences that happen. And for me, they are wings from God. Like, as if to tell you, listen, you're going well. Look, mm-hmm. you're on the right path. You know, when everything just aligns. So when I was in Sri Lanka, out, you know, for an incredible synchronicity, people started talking about the uh, meditation retreats. And I basically booked. And this is the only thing that I uh, organized. You know, I was there 10 days, I guess, into my trip. Start talking. I start hearing about this meditation retreat and I check and I'm like, oh, wow, I could do it at the end of my three months in Kathmandu. So I booked this uh, Vipassana silent 10 days meditation retreat. Mind you, I had never, well, I had done a mindfulness course, which was like a 12 hours course before. So going from that to meditating 12 hours a day with, without talking, without reading, without writing, with no eye contact. To the other with the other people, there was a big stretch. And for me, it was a mind-blowing experience. Like I had never, I knew, right? I, I knew the word energy. I, I've heard the concept, didn't really much believe in it. I thought it was like all this hippie stuff. But sitting there for 10 hours at 12 hours a day and not moving at all because the point of vipassana is just doing body scans and not reacting in any ways to whatever you feel and the science fiction part in all of this is that if you're not giving any reaction like if you're not feeding your body with any reaction that you're having to a fly walking on your arm or to being hot or to being cold like you just stay still your body's taking out all the repressed reactions of a lifetime and, and when i heard this for me it was like complete science fiction. Like, no, (laughs) what do you mean? Well, it meant that on day eight, I cried for something like seven hours for my grandfathers who died in 1986. And I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, where is all this sadness coming from? And I knew that it was for my, for that loss that I never really dealt with because I was a child when it happened. And on day nine, I had the vision. It's the first vision of my life. And I call it vision because I was there with my eyes closed and I saw NLP written on a wall. And I didn't know what NLP was. That's why I think that I call it a vision. It's not that my brain had this knowledge that took out out of the blue in Nepal to the point that I thought National Liberation Party. <laughs> like I didn't know I'm like, what, what, what is this NLP? I'm like, okay. So on day 10, they gave me the mobile back. 
once we finished the, the retreat. And so I could check neuro-linguistic programming. And it made total sense because I had been a linguist all my life long. I speak four languages. I've studied six or seven. And I've always loved communication. And I've always been interested in psychology. So I thought, wow, neuro-linguistic programming seems to be the perfect next move for me. Because, you know, when I when I left, I was like, yeah, I like my jobs, but I want to do something different, something through which I can help people. And when I came back to London and I started getting informed about NLP, that's when I stumbled upon coaching. Again, I've never heard of life coaching. And I went to this free two days event. And I think that half an hour into it, I was like, this is going to be my next job. Like I was meddling love from the first uh, <laughs> half an hour with it. So this trip has been life-changing, both in the way I relate to life. You know, I really now, I, I really have this unshakable belief that everything is always working out for me and that the universe is providing and that I'm loved beyond my imagination and that my job is simply to feel deserving and allowing and being ready to receive and really living in trust. Even if I don't see why things are happening now, a few years later, oh my God, that that had to happen for this thing to happen now. So um, can, I can give you an example. I changed my plans last minute in Sri Lanka. And I was like, mm, okay, I changed my plans last minute. Because of this, I met an artist uh, who became my travel buddy. So when I decided to make the book, he, I, I asked him to prepare the cover, this beautiful cover, where I then self-published because all publishing houses, well, all, those who answered rejected the book. When I self-published, a publishing house in Italy noticed the cover and they were really struck by it. So they offered me a contract. I mean, they asked me to send the, the, the book. So they read it and they're like, okay. So it was the, the cover that attracted them. And it's also the cover that gave me extra points for which now my book, which won second place at the Book Fest Awards, is going to be projected on the Nasdaq billboard in Times Square. And I wonder if I hadn't changed my plans, if I hadn't met Andrea, this artist, if I hadn't had this cover, maybe all of this wouldn't have happened. So what seemed like, ah, uh, I'm, I'm losing a day in my itinerary because, yeah, because I decided to stay one more day. You know, like there was this debating at the, at the beginning and I'm like, okay, let's, let's just do this. Maybe there is a reason why, why this has to happen. You know, I remember thinking that. And five years later, I mean, I've already seen it many times in these years, but five years later, I can say also New York is happening because of that cover. Wow. What a great story. You know, we have a large part of our audience here is very rational, very logic, very logic, very logical. And mm. um, so Theories like serendipity and synchronicity, um, it's it difficult for some people to wrap their head around, right? Um, mm. So I just, just want to address that for those of you listening who are like, ah, oh, you know, all this stuff is like mumbo jumbo. For those of you who think that, like, I hear you, right? Like, I, I am super rational, super scientific, super logical. Like, um, yeah, I've never believed in God or I'm kind of like one of these prove it to me, right? Kind of people. Mm. And at the same time, I have very happily dived into the sandpit of the unknown and playing around with the potential that I don't know what I don't know and mm. that I'd be okay with that. But to view serendipity and synchronicity uh, through the lens of play. So... If, for example, that would happen to me, 
Mm-hmm. Um, rather than going to my rational and thinking brain like I would have in the past and said, oh, well, this is just like a complete fluke, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just random. I do look at it as a sign and I do converse with something about that sign and I do thank it and I do have a gratitude and appreciation and I do mm-hmm. ask more for more and it does embody hope and it does embody faith and it does embody trust. Um, so I would argue with anybody that that how is that a bad thing, right? So I like it. I, I like I like the playful feel of it. I like discussing and sharing those synchronicity stories with people. I like how it inspires people versus I don't want to believe in that because it's mumbo jumbo. To me, it's a net positive to just, if you're really super skeptical, to just lower your guard a little bit. And to just get curious and to just play with it and say, how can we play in with this? Not necessarily yeah. have to go over the deep end and sit there wishing your, your Ferrari is going to just turn <laughs> out. Yeah. But, to, yeah. but just really play with it, you know? And so. Yeah. And as you say, you know, for me, at the end of the at the end of the day, very often, the point is what makes you feel better? Yeah, what yeah. What makes you feel better, right? Like I don't have a proof that what I believe is true. And in the same way in which people who think it's just here, they don't really have a proof that there isn't something else more. So why not believe in what makes you happier? Because I really get some joy in saying, oh my God, look what just happened. You know, God, the universe is sending a signal. I'm doing fine. I feel reassured. I feel comforted. And honestly, you know, in my book, there, there was an article in the Psychic magazine uh, of April. You know, it made me laugh because I would I never thought that I would end up in a magazine called Psychic. <laughs> mm. But so it was. So uh, three pages articles on all the synchronicities that happened in this trip. Oh, and wow. I think they were already there, but I was so busy in my everyday life in making things, enforcing things happen with a specific timeline and deadline that I didn't have the eyes to see them, but they were, they're constantly happening. It's just that we don't have the mental space to notice them. So I started seeing them more during my trip because I was definitely more relaxed, more open to look around. And also because when you say, okay, universe, I trust you. And sometimes I really don't have any intuition telling me what, and when I didn't know an answer for myself, I would say, okay, <laughs> is there anything that can happen? And boom, in that, I don't know, there was this guy passing by with a t-shirt with written, choose love. And there are thousands of those t-shirts in the world, I know. But the fact that he passed in that moment for me was, okay, that's the message, choose love and make your decision based on this. So there are, you know, all sorts of things that happened. Um, they, 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 I think you make a good point there because it, 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 helps, it helps you take positive act. It helps you take action, right? Mm. And be decisive, decisive. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. So, for example, when I go to bed at night, every night, I thank my parts, my ego, my different personality parts that that sometimes upset people and get me into trouble. I, I tell them that I love them, that I see them, that I that I uh, hear them, that they matter to me, and, and thank them for what they did to keep me safe today. I always do that. Oh, this then is yeah, then I show appreciation and gratitude for everything that's happened in the day. I recite everything that's happened, appreciation and gratitude. And then at the moment, anyway, I say, and God, please show me the signs that will help me by the end of 2023, get out of my debt. I, I, I finish with that every time. Just moved into a new house. And two days ago, I got a letter from a credit card company who I owe money to 
who are offering me to pay it off 50% less. So they're, they're, they're saying, we will, we will cut 50% off this bill if you pay it now. Now, normally I will look at that and go, oh, oh that's a nice offer, but I can't do it because I don't have the money. Now I'm looking at it and I go, oh, I just asked God, exactly. universe, to help me and give me signs to pay my debt off and by the end of 2023. And then the next day I get a letter saying from his credit card company, we're not going to take this amount of money off you now. We're going to take 50% less if you can pay it off right now. Now, you could look at that and say, this is nonsense. It's just a fluke. Lee, it's not God sending you a message. And you may be right. But what it is leading to is me saying, holy cow, I'm going to take action and I'm going to find the money to take advantage of this offer. Before I asked God to show me the sign, I would have just said, I don't have the money. I'm not going to do it. So what I'm getting across, hopefully, to you skeptics out there is choosing to believe and and putting faith into something else and then it's showing up and giving you a sign allows me to take affirmative actions that I probably wouldn't have taken because my awareness around the subject wouldn't have been as deepened. Does that make sense? Yeah. And also would like to add, you know, for those who are more rational, that it's all a matter of filters. I mean, our brain is always going to confirm what beliefs it holds. Always, like neurologically, our brain will always provide us a confirmation of the belief we hold. So if a person thinks that life is difficult, that it's uh, it's tough, that it's, uh, you know, this world sucks, you know, th- th- those people with this view, if I make them walk through the street, they're going to notice the, the graffiti on the wall, the dog shit on the pavement, and a wrecked car just parked there. If I take a person who thinks, oh, life is beautiful and uh, it's full of joy and love, and I make them walk the same street, they're going to notice the flower just being, you know, being born among the, the slabs of the pavement, the child holding the hand of the mother, and maybe a beautiful shop window. Mm. So the street is the same, but we're just noticing different things because we want to confirm the belief that we have. Yeah. And so whether if you think that life is only rational and you're just going to stop at this level of reading things. But if you say, no, actually, there is so much that goes beyond rationality. So I'm opening. And that's when you start noticing other things that you would probably notice, but you would give them a different explanation, much drier. And for me, pulling down, like I love to, I love to fly. I love to go <laughs> towards the universe with my mind. And so... But you know the the, the reason is yeah. the same. So it all depends on on what you wanna on what you hold as a belief. Yeah, Roberta, I took, dropped my daughter off at school uh, yesterday, and I was walking back across the road, and the lollipop man stepped into the. Do, do you know what a lollipop man is? No, like someone who gives away pop, lollipop. No, so a lollipop man is someone who has a big stop sign in his hand. And uh-huh. he stands outside schools and then oh, he goes into the middle of the road to stop the ah, traffic. Okay, so, okay, okay. So in the <laughs> okay. UK, yeah, it, we call them lollipop men. So okay. I um I'm oh, the lollipop man, his name's Bert. He come in the middle of the road and uh he said, Come on, Lee. So I go across the road and then I walk past him and then I stop, I go back and I say, uh, Bert, would you like to have a cup of tea with me one time? He said, I'd love that. I said, can I have your number? He said, yeah. So Bert gave me his number. 
And then I came home and I said to my daughter, I'm going to go out with Bert for a cup of tea. She said, why are you going out with Bert for a cup of tea? I said, I don't know. I just felt I like his energy and I want to go out with him. Last night, I was creating a quest for my stride community. So one of the ways that we help people heal is um, we invite them to participate in different quests. And there are different levels of these quests. And this one was based on curiosity. How can you increase your curiosity? (laughs) And as I was creating the quest, in the toughest section, I wrote, find somebody who does something for a living that is completely polar opposite to what you do or something that's vastly different. Contact that person, go and have a cup of tea with them and ask them questions about how they got that job, whether it's fulfilling or not and why they do it. So I'm not in that zone if I'm cut off from my own self-awareness, the possibility of life, the energy of my own and the energy of other people, viewing and looking at the world through a filter that, you know, most people are beautiful, most people are amazing, and being vulnerable enough to step forward and say, hey, can I have your, your number? None of that happens if you're in this typical British pessimistic, <laughs> moody, cultural kind of tone, right? <laughs> you know, like- yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I love this quest of increasing curiosity. Curiosity and gratitude for me are the best energies to be in. Hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> and, I'm, and I'm so thankful to be a very curious soul. I've always been. Now, we've reached the hour, but um, I, have you got just two minutes more, two, three minutes more? Sure, sure. Sure. So tell the people at home, you, you've, you've come back after your trip, you delved into the NLP because of the, your <clears throat> vision, but you also did the Elementum Master Life Coaching yeah. course, which which I did. So yeah. I, give your, your chance now to just say to the people listening um, what you've learned and how you are serving your clients. So if anybody wants to work with you, they can do yeah, that. Yeah. So first, I actually studied in England at the coaching academy and I took the personal performance diploma, so the life coaching one, and the NLP practitioner one. And much as I liked them, I felt that they were both very rational and especially the life coaching as I learned it here in England, it was just one model. And for me, it was it's true that it was useful for whatever topic the client would bring up, but it felt really, really dry. And I'm definitely a hard-led person. And I decided to study with the Elementum um, Coaching Institute because I loved one of the coaches, Christine Hassler. She's always been one of my idols. And so I got into it and oh my boy, (laughs) what a journey, right? So that has been another life-changing experience. Now I'm a master life coach. I feel so equipped to help people because they provided us with 18 different modules and so much practice. I also learned to incorporate the body in the way I I deal with my clients because until then I was really just working at a mindset level, at the rational one. And now I realize that so much is stuck in the body. And if we work with that, you know, we can get amazing results. And I'm the first one who's opposing a lot of resistance because I've always been very much in my head. So I'm the first one to oppose resistance. What? You know, it's impossible to say in two minutes what this uh, coaching institute has given me, but I think that the biggest thing is integrity. So whatever I offer to my clients is something that I've already tried on my own. And I'm taking them where I've already been. And maybe I'm just those two or three steps ahead, but I can help them come out. And 
the book has brought me many clients, you know, women, because this book is dedicated to women who feel stuck or who are awakening. And they end up liking my energy, my outlook on life, my trust, the courage, the vulnerability. So these are all things that I know can help people feel so much better because there is so much, for me, there is so much unnecessary suffering in the world Mm. and it's okay. We all go through that, but let's not make it. I mean, pain is compulsory. Suffering is optional. So let me help you move out of all this suffering. And in particular, I help people with emotional awareness, emotional responsibility, alignment, self-mastery. So these are the things that I tend to work with. Beautiful. Awesome. Been through the elements and coaching course myself, so I can tell you that anybody that comes through there is a weapon, a weapon of mastery. Yeah, absolutely. A a weapon out in the world of healing. Um, So um, please, 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 if you're listening to this, check out the show notes. Uh, where you'll find how you can buy Roberta's book and how you can buy it as a coach. Uh, Robbie, yeah. it's been really great talking to you. I was going to come to London to see you in person. I couldn't do that. Yeah, We'll do next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, I'm there a lot. I'm actually going to be spending three weeks at the end of July. So I'm sure we'll be able to grab a cup of tea. Uh, thank Absolutely. you for being a guest on the 1000 Days Silver Podcast. Thanks to you. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a few thank yous. First of all, I want to thank uh, you guys and girls for listening to this podcast and being supporters of it. Many people stop drinking alcohol just by listening to this podcast. I got a lot of people reaching out to me, thanking me for that, right? So give this to somebody as a gift today or rate and review the podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast on your local podcast player and tell somebody about it, you could change somebody's life today, okay? So thank you for listening and thank you in advice in advance for that piece of service. Also want to thank our producer, Stan. Um, Stan is still currently in the Ukraine fighting the war and producing our podcast while his family is somewhere else in the world right now, okay, apart from him. So everybody send out your prayers and your love. Stan, we love you. Thank you very much for everything you do here. For you out there, if you are starting to think about, contemplate, Uh, reflect on your relationship with alcohol. You do not have to do this alone. Yes, you drink alone, but you don't have to stop alone, okay? And if alcohol is not your thing, but you are starting to feel that you actually are living a parts-led life, the ego is getting in the way too much, so you're not happy with the way life is going, then reach out to us at thestrivemethod at gmail.com. Just say, Lee, and just tell me what is on your mind, and we'll start to have that conversation. Strive community is a beautiful place where you can start to feel seen, heard, and matter. It's where you can get community, and it's where you can start practicing what we call the eight C's of self, our core values, right? Or creativity, curiosity, uh, connection, compassion, courage. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them, but there's eight of them, right? And we have our quest structure. So we have assignments, and they're really interesting, exciting. At the end of them, we say to you, come on. Do this quest, right? Get involved in this challenge. Um, And strivers are really finding it exciting. And they're working their challenges in these areas that are going to increase the amount of time they spend in self-energy in a state of flow. And that has amazing repercussions for the relationship you grow with yourself and for how you 
how you reach out to others in their life, like how you parent, how you um, are as a child to your, not child, but a son or a daughter, how you are in your relationship with the person you share your bed with and how you behave with your employees, right? So reach out to me at strivemethod at gmail.com if you want to learn more. Okay, much love, everybody.